Just some podcast media. to this episode of Buried Pleasures. Hi, I'm your hostess, Pollyanna Amazing. And today, what shivers your timbers, we have uh, my wonderful friend, Robert, that's going to be talking to us in a little bit about some really cool things that he's involved with, with leather and the fetish community and the wonderful uh, brilliance that he is. So you can find me, Pollyanna Amazing, at buriedpleasures.com buried pleasures on twitter and pleasure pathways on facebook and instagram robert welcome how are you sir i'm good a little crazy but always good (laughs) always good well robert please tell the folks out there listening where they can find you so i have a new company that has just started so it's called royal creation leather no s between the creation and leather and it's Royal Creation Leather at Gmail. It will be Royal Creation Leather at Facebook, Instagram. So it's a little bit of everywhere. And then the website is starting, uh, should be up in a week or two. And hopefully it will be Royal Creation Leather, but we'll see what I actually get. But last time I checked, there was still, that was still available as a domain. Fantastic, Robert. So a little backstory between Robert and myself. Robert was my partner in our clinical trials when we were in uh, nurse practitioner school. So we've known each other for quite a while and we do keep in contact, you know, here and there. So what's my most favorite impression and lovely story about Robert is I'm telling you guys, I walk into a room full of nursing students, NP students, that's who we are. And I'm pretty sure that as my norm, I picked out the only man, uh, that was homosexual, which I truly do. Not that, honestly, (laughs) I never thought in the million years when I first sat down to talk to Robert that that was even a thing. But for whatever reason, the universe connects me with the most brilliant and amazing people. So Robert, we had such a good time at that point, two days in Chicago, trying to schlep through some (laughs) head to toe assessments. And freaking out over all the assignments and everything, but we got through it and we are both practicing wonderfully in our respective communities. And now that you've started doing this great job as a nurse practitioner and you have, you're not, you're no longer in the Chicago area, right? You're in Texas. Yeah. I moved to Houston a little over two years ago, but I lived in, I lived in Chicago for 17 years. So oh, wow. yeah, yeah I was there for quite a while. And where are you from originally? Uh, Kentucky. Of course I, you are. <laughs> We're I, have, I, I haven't lived there since 99. So I traveled for nursing for a while, ended up in Chicago, fell in love there and uh, loved the community and loved the, um, you know, it had a very big city feel, but more Midwest mentality compared to like, I had lived in San Francisco for a little while and a little too crowded for me. So it just, it was, it it got the best of both for me. That is awesome. So Robert, let's talk about, well, let's start at the beginning. Where are you? We're from Kentucky. Mm. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how in the world you got from Kentucky to where you are now. So I had always, I had some uh, medical stuff when I was a kid and say surgeries and stuff. And I'd always been 
interest in the medical field. Um, so going through high school, I started, you know, we had to start figuring out what we were going to do. And I knew college was probably not an option for me because I wasn't, I wasn't focused enough for it. And I didn't want to, so I went to tech technical school and started out as what's called a surgical tech where you do uh, 10 months of education and you're the person in surgery that passes instruments to the surgeon, you set up the sterile field, that kind of stuff. And I knew I didn't want to stay. And I was, I was raised in Lexington, which is the second biggest city. So it was, it was metropolitan-ish college town. Uh, but I wanted to see the world. So I did, I went and became a traveling tech at that point, went with my boyfriend at the time. Um, and then we traveled all over the place. I've been to Allentown, Pennsylvania, Ocala, Florida, Cincinnati, Colorado Springs, San Francisco, Minneapolis, and Chicago. And I went to Chicago for my first leather event and fell in love with it and knew that's where I wanted to end up. And so I stopped, went back to school for nursing, and I did that in Chicago. So Nice. nice. So what brought you from okay, I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm moving to Houston and now I'm going to make awesome leather accessories. What happened in between there? So I had always been interested, well, being into BDSM and the leather community and seeing Oh, hang that, on for everybody out there who doesn't know what BDSM oh, is. Can you please elaborate? It's bondage, discipline, state domesticism. So it's a broad term for any type of non in a way missionary sexual aspect gotcha. so missionary is just on top of each other no yeah. other aspect traditional we got it yeah right so it's yeah. anything that would be considered not in the normal spectrum of a basic mentality of sexual activity okay um you know and so i had always been interested and i got into sewing so when i got married which i'm divorced now uh we gave each of the uh people who were in the wedding uh, a, a, a lap quilt and I learned how to sew with that and learned from there and then moved to learning more and more and then I moved here and wanted some outlets because I moved here to be with two uh, my two boyfriends at the time we're no longer together but uh, wanted aspects of learning new things and I started going to the renaissance fair which the one here in Houston is the largest in the country and it runs the longest it runs for was nine weeks now it's eight and just really fell in love with what was there and the armor and I've always been a big geek so <laughs> like you know I played D&D &D and I was a gamer for a long time and so it kind of just melded into this and then with COVID happening and figuring out, okay, healthcare is, you know, as long as I've got my license, I got a job, but I'm also 43. And I'm like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Right. And healthcare, while I love it, I've been in it now for 25 years. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking, you know, I started looking at, you know, people were saying, hey, this is really great. You should sell it. You should make more. And getting that feedback really pushed me to say, you know, maybe I can look into starting this as a business and see where it goes. Yeah. I think a lot of people have the misconception that once a nurse practitioner, once a nurse, once a doctor, always that, but you know, there's a lot of things out there in life other than taking care of other people. And, and we have to have our own little niches for self pleasure or, you know, like we need to be able to come home and put, you know, that nurse hat, nurse practitioner hat mm -hmm. aside and for you, it looks like a leather helmet. For me, it's some other things. <laughs> I love that fact. But as you, as we were talking before this show, you know, there were some things that may have led you down this path. And, and who are the people that have been helping you to develop your skills? How did you even learn how to sew for that matter? You know? So a lot of it is... I, one of the big pushes, not so much people, but a lot of the leather companies, um, and I understand why they have this philosophy or this like aspect, they don't really cater to the non-small, skinny, or muscular forms. They, when it comes to bigger forms like bears, which are uh, gay men generally who are, have weight, usually have fur, uh, fur on their chest. If you're not that quintessential skinnier person or muscular person, it's hard to get 
stuff that fits you, even like bigger females or, you know, it, it, it's a defect for me in the way that the community as a whole has left some people out. It is starting to change, mm-hmm. but it's still a problem because most people can't keep uh, a bunch of stuff that's bigger because they, that's a stock that they have to hold on until to, till somebody comes over who can want, who can buy it. So it's that, you know, being into, um, you know, I tend overall, I tend to be more attracted to bigger guys, like bigger muscular guys with weight. That's a general rule. And, you know, when I see a guy that fits that mentality and I'm looking at him and I'm in my mind, I'm like, oh, he would look really hot in this type of leather or this (laughs) thinking, okay, what's appealing to me? Right. You know, and some of the, some, you know, some people are not like comfortable with that, but some people, you know, you'll run into them. They were like, yeah, well, I would love to have a harness or this or that. And they're like, but I can't find a one that fits me. Right. And, you know, and that's, I, I feel you on that because as a larger lady, you know, I'm not a skinny little girl. I can probably maybe a thousand times have I ever purchased something because when you're a bigger person, you do have to go to specialty shops or online for sure. So you don't have the capability to try things on. And so I probably have had a thousand bras that never fit. Mm-hmm. They looked really damn cute on the size zero model that was modeling it. Right. Um, but, and again, you know, we have to understand that, but on average, people are not that small size anymore. That used to be the norm. Now it is not. And, you know, I do a whole series on health at every size. I think it's a really interesting thing to talk about, but that in itself is a big determinant for people, I think, because you want to look, you see all these things going on and, and you dive into these groups. Maybe if you got on a Facebook group about BDSM or, or this really, you know, you've met some people and you want to learn more, you kind of feel like, oh, well, I don't have the body type to nobody's going to think I'm attractive, but just like you said, you're attracted to bigger guys. I'm not attracted to tiny men either. (laughs) You know, there are some, some differences about that. And it's really cool that you recognize that. And then you're trying to do something about it, but let's talk about that dress form behind you. That's that's my favorite thing that we've talked about. How did that come about? So the dress form was, uh, there's a guy that I uh, watch on YouTube, a great um, uh, way he does different things and he teaches people how to, and he's kind of not the most um, skilled, but he's learning. So right. you the way plug you know, him if you want to, because let's, let's plug him. He's good. So his name is uh, his YouTube channel channel is called skill tree. And he does everything from leather working to making wands to making uh, a wand with fire. I mean, he does all kinds of stuff. He's awesome. a big dude too. Right. So this is basically one of the reasons I needed a dress form. I needed something that I can use to plot things out. And leather is not the most it's not the easiest thing to work with you. And unlike other material, you put a hole in leather, it's there forever. You can't fix it. You right. can cover it. You can try to do something with it, but it's, it's unforgiving in that way. So I needed something because of me focusing not beyond just the small muscular guys, but bigger people too, is something that's bigger. So this is me. This is actually me. Quick, easy. You just uh, paint a suit, tape someone uh, uh, duct tape me in it all the way through, cut it out. And then I got this expandable foam stuff, put it in there. And it is actually setting on a, um, an IV pole. <laughs> so it's great. It's a little top heavy. Like I could use something to keep it weight down, but for what I need now, it's fine. So That's awesome. And the, and, and the things that are on it right now to describe it, can you describe it? Because obviously some people will not be watching. Some people will be listening. Can so, you describe what um, you have going on there? So this is one of my barbarian sets. So like I had talked about going to the Renaissance Fair here each week, which each weekend is kind of a focused weekend. So week, weekend one is Oktoberfest. So I have a pair of lederhosen. I wear that, go out, <laughs> drink beer all day long. But barbarian weekend, which is a lot of fun. It's just, and the one thing about, you know, being a gay man in Texas, mm-hmm. even though it is Houston, 
um, you're always a little concerned because I went from Chicago, a very blue liberal area to being in Houston, which Houston itself is liberal, not quite on the same level, but liberal. Um, you know, you're a little concerned, you know, am I going to be dealing with getting my butt kicked or whatever, but going to the Renaissance Fair, it's one of the most welcoming environments I've ever been to. Like you'll see guys like they'll be wearing little to nothing. They're as straight as they can be. And they know people are looking at them because they're looking at the armor or their bodies or whatever. And it's one of the most welcoming places I've ever been. And people just don't care. Like they're just, they're there just to have a good time. So this is, um, this is uh, my barbarian bear piece. So it has a side shoulder piece that straps under with um, uh, a groin area that has uh, some uh, tooling and uh, some designs. And then it has wrist piece plus um, a helmet that is in the shape of a bear. So it's, it. yeah, it's, it's, I was very proud of this. I'm, piece. I'm very it's, proud for you. It's gorgeous. So the bear helmet, is that a toss back to bears themselves? Is that what? Uh, well, because with barbarian, you think barbarian, Vikings, yeah. you know, bigger guys for like, you know, it. they're going to, they're going to ravage. I mean, it's in a clever. very, it's clever. Yeah. Ravaging. Yeah. I like yeah. it. <laughs> now I know you mentioned before and um, we'll just roll back to that just a second, but going out and being afraid you're you're a good size guy you're formidable size well i mean i wouldn't say being afraid just being more conscious about my surroundings especially in the environment of being in texas which is very very conservative um can be very intimidating uh going from where i was to where i'm at and granted being back from Kentucky, you, but I was still in the city, but still there's some mentalities you were, you have to work through. And I, you know, I haven't really had a, any problems, but you know, you, you go into an unknown situation and you're like, okay, what's this going to end up being? Right. Right. Well, I think what you're saying, you're echoing some of the fears that females have. I don't, you don't normally hear men say that like straight cisgendered male right. i'm not gonna say i'm afraid to walk into a bar because somebody's gonna beat me up that doesn't usually happen now right. you know in the environment that i in surround myself with i have friends of color friends that are you know different sexuality preferences gender types whatever you want to call it that are that say the same thing you do you just have to be cautious and isn't that a weird and strange thing that we're all in, we're all feeling the same way, but we can't communicate it to each other in an open environment because of the fear. And I think what you were saying with your community at the Ren Fair, right. that they, they're accepting of you. And so it makes it comfortable. That's why it's how many weeks long, like forever long. Right? It's a, uh, it used to be nine. So it used to go from the very first weekend in October until Thanksgiving weekend. So it's, and, you know, I usually go at least two or three weekends out of the events and it's just, you know, there it's humongous. Like you can literally spend the entire day and, uh, you know, I go there because there's people I know, and I've been going for a couple of years now, but there's people who've been going since they were kids. Like they've been going every year because it's, you know, it's a way to just like go, you can be as weird as you want and still be welcomed. Um, so it's, it's just, it's one of those things, it's a, a way to get away from reality into an environment that is, that you love being around. Right. And it feels like you're safe there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I love that thought. There are so many times that I myself personally have felt like we just do each other a disservice, right? Disjustice in the fact that you have that feeling eight weeks out of the year, you know, and mm-hmm. that kind of sucks. Why can't we just have Ren Fair every day? <laughs> well, my pay, my my wallet would not be able to survive um, because, yeah, I love going and I drink a lot, drink a lot of beer, and uh, tend to buy more weapons and uh, and my my other half who uh, one of my boyfriends who lives with me um would kill me because he's already ready to kill me because i have an entire floor for my stuff and i have like several pieces of weapons that i need to make pieces so i can hang them up on the wall i just 
it's been low. It's been low on the options I need to do right now. That's awesome. Well, let's move, let's move into what you were just talking about. Your boyfriends. Mm -hmm. How's that happen? Dagnabbit. <laughs> I'm well, not jealous that you have two men. I mean, geez. <laughs> so, so I've never been uh, averse to or want monogamy. I don't, um, for me, I don't believe it's a, it's an option. I just, you know, uh, and it's not, you know, some people come back and they're like, well, you're cheating. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's no cheating. There's direct communication and understanding. I'm saying, okay, I love you as a person. I want to be with you, but because of my desires of different aspects, BDSM or certain things, there are things that you don't like doing that I want to do or want done to me. And you're not experienced enough to do it in a safe manner because whenever it comes to BDSM or that kind of stuff, safety has got to be first and foremost in communication. Yeah. So um, the my boyfriend, um, he's quite sort of a boy. He's uh, there are times when I'm the dom and he's a, he's a sub um, uh, in certain aspects. And we, you know, there are certain things that he likes doing to him. And so we started dating. So we met. We hung out for about two months. We were like, we're not going to stay. We're dating. We want to see if this is going to work out because we both had issues in the past where we jump into a relationship and it ends up not being a great relationship. And so we were very, every, even though everybody was like, no, y'all are dating. You're together. You're always hanging out. And I'm like, no, but I mean, it was about two months and then we officially started dating. And then we waited a couple of weeks before we started telling people because we were like, let's see if this works. So we're just very conscious. Um, and then we, um, and we've been together about a year and a couple of months, year and uh, December 8th is when we started dating, uh, two Decembers ago. And then we met this um, other guy um, and he's what's called a pup. And I, I'll go into that a little yeah, bit. Let's, we'll talk about that next. <laughs> <laughs> so he and the boy really hit it off. They played a couple of times and I, I, I always said I was never a jealous person. My last relationship brought out a lot of insecurity, jealousies in me and this relationship, not at all. Um, in general, I mean, there's always some jealousies and you always have to be able to talk about it. But he was hooking up with this guy a couple of times. They, I saw what was developing and I kind of was like, okay, what's going on? We talked about it. They started doing their thing and started dating. And then we things started developing between me and the third guy. And so now we've recently started this whole thruple or triad. There's multiple different names, but we're all dating each other. But in that there are four relationships. So there's mine and the boy's relationship. There's mine and the pup's relationship. There's the boy and the pup's relationship. And then there's the relationship as a whole. So it, communication is the most important thing. The more people, the more communication there right. is. The moment you start feeling jealous or you're not you're not secure, you have to be able to speak up and you have to be able to do it where people don't um, degrade you or belittle what you're feeling. Because if you're feeling it, you need to speak up and get that. Because if you don't, it's just going to breed a lot of issues. Right. So I'm going to ask you this. As a child, who taught you how to be that open and honest? Because I don't um, think I was taught that as a child. Not again, um, it's the jealousy thing, I think that, or maybe the lack of communication and the fact that your parents don't really talk to you about that kind of thing at all, or mine didn't. But well, about yours. I mean, my mom was always very open. She always wanted uh, for, I mean, my mom as a kid and teenager, I mean, she was always my mother. Like she had the authority over me, but she was always very like, I want you to talk to me. If you have issues, I want you to talk to me. She's like, I want to know what's going on because if I don't, I can't either support you or be helpful or whatever. So my mom was always like that. But to be honest, I, you know, my last relationship, I had a lot of, lot of issues happen on both parts. So it's not my fault, not their fault, a lot of issues, but I had a lot of therapy and the therapist I found was someone who was in the leather BDSM community. So a lot of that was he understood that the dynamics, he understood the base terminology. So it wasn't spending the first couple of sessions being like, Hey, what's this, what's this. So learning how to 
manage my anxiety and understanding what's going on and being able to speak up and say, okay, and do it in a productive way and not a accusatory or something like that. And the relationship I have with uh, my boy is one of the best, it's probably one of the best relationships I've ever had because we, we actually had our first disagreement argument after being together for a year and three, four months the other week. And it was like, it was over something stupid, but it was like, we've never had a true argument. We've had discussions, but no arguments. Was it over a leather sewing machine? Just asking for a friend. No, no, he's really good. Like he's gotten to the point. It was over. Like he wanted, you know, we had, we had uh, electricity problems. We were in the house for a couple of days because of all that, but um, he wanted to get the dishes done. And it was like eight or nine o'clock at night. And I had to work the next day. I'm like, why are we doing this now? I was off. You were off. We could have done this earlier. And so, but you know, and no, he's very, uh, he's gotten to the point. He's like, don't tell me what you're spending. He's like, I'll tell him what I'm getting. Like if I'm buying stuff, like whatever, but he's like, I don't know what you're spending because my money's my money, his money's his money, and then we have the money for the joints. So house stuff, joints I, got you. I feel you on that one as well. That's fantastic. So let me ask you this, if you don't mind, do you mind um, telling me when you came out or when your mom knew? Did your mom oh, I came out. Um, I came out when I was eighteen, right after high school. Uh-huh. I mean, granted, this was like mid-ish, late nineties, so ninety-seven, because I graduated in ninety-six. Well, ninety-six. So this was ninety-six. So this was still. I mean, this is what almost thirty. Oh God, almost thirty years ago. Yeah, I'll tell you, <laughs> nineteen ninety-six. My son will be twenty-five this year, <laughs> yeah. and that's right when I moved. I left Lexington at that time. So yeah. yeah so I came out, um, and you know, my mom was she was pretty cool about it. Um, it, she was just like, you know, I love you. Um, I have two uncles who are gay. So, and it's her brother. So it was one of those, like, it wasn't out of left field for her. Um, but she was just like, as long as you're safe and I want you, you know, I just want you to be happy. So um, that was the biggest thing. And, um, and that's just, I mean, I've been out now for, I'm, uh, 43. So I've been out for, yeah, like 25, 26 years. And how does that feel after being in high school and knowing that you weren't who you, who most people thought you were? I'm sure that in, in your high school, you weren't dating guys. Is that correct? No, I wasn't dating. Any, I didn't date anyone in high school. Yeah. I was kind of like, I just didn't look at it that way. Um, yeah. I was like, I was at that point where I was just me and I was enjoying life and high school and friends and I you know back in the mid 90s yeah there was some areas and there were some things on tv but it was it's definitely nothing like today right you know like my first my first character of remembering someone being gay on a show was like Melrose Place back in the early 90s oh wow and he was only like (laughs) like one or two seasons and he was like there was no character development there was like he dated someone but they never kissed it was just but it was the times times are different now right and you can't be like i I sit on the couch and my daughter will watch movies with us some nights and and she says mom you can't say that stuff what are they saying like watching movies from the 90s (laughs) because she's just like oh my god mom and heaven forbid you watch something from the early 80s or you know 70s she's just she thinks that that's the most crazy thing that i was brought up in that way which I am so happy to have had the influences, the positive influences that I've had in my life, because I definitely was not raised to, to be anything um, more than a judgmental Christian type person. And it's not my parents' fault. I'm not blaming them for that at all. Mm-hmm. I love my parents very much. I miss my father terribly and my poor little mama with her Alzheimer's God love her heart. It's just tough to watch, but you know, they did the best that they could. And that's why I'm trying to do the best I can with my kids now, even though they're half grown, but you know, it's just trying to find easy ways to get into topics. Just like we're talking today. Like it's the easiest and best thing to be able to communicate. Just like you were saying earlier, that piece of communication, like how are people supposed to know about bdsm or leather guys or guys with big chains and locks i'm going to talk about that um (laughs) all of those cool things that you know unless you know somebody how are you supposed to know and then you know i think once you know you're less likely to be as judgmental as you would have been before 
And mm-hmm. so that's why I think it's really great that you uh, came on anyway in the first place. I appreciate you for that. But let's talk more about this whole alpha dom thing. I'm excited. <laughs> um, so I am, I am considered a switch, meaning I can be a dom or I can be a sub, but I tend to categorize myself as an alpha. In BDSM in general, there's a philosophy doms are generally put in about three categories, which are like master, sir, and daddy, mm-hmm. or mommy, depending on whatever. And then the, in oh, subs. Let me ask you really quick, sorry to interrupt you, but so when it comes to um, what you, your pronouns, is that how you get to be mommy, daddy, whatever, or? Um, it's more work? related to the person. Like okay. there's these ideas of, you know, a master is, this, 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 and this, but that's an idea. It's whatever the person calls themselves Uh, to a point, like, um, and then there, you know, for subs, there are slave, boy, pup. Um, You can even do as many as brat or other sub mentality or puppy. Um, And so it's just different shades of the same situation. So, you know, it's, it's how you want to express yourself in an environment. And, you know, certain people fall with multiple areas. So just because you're a boy, which is um, very quick. So generally the mentality of like a master and slave go together. Masters in the old sense or old guard goes in. They have complete control. They're the ones who decides everything. The slave has no input, or if they do, it's behind closed doors and the master's in complete control. That's a general idea. Right. Now, when you say slave, though, these are people who have opted to take that. Correct. Correct. No, 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 no. And everything is consensual and it has to be consensual. Now, there are extreme situations, but when it comes to BDSM, everybody is consensual or should be consensual. Now, outside situations, a different thing, but everything I talk about is consensual. Everybody has, it's an exchange of power. And it's most BDSM sexual acts or relationships or exchange of power. The sub or the submissive is giving up the power to the dom and is giving it up freely. Gotcha. I I think what what I'm trying to get at is uh, while we're discussing this, people who don't know anything about BDSM or people who have a little knowledge, you know, just enough to be dangerous. These are people who are in consensual relationships. Correct. These are not people who just get plucked off the street and you get told that you're the slave or whatever. No, 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 no exactly. Works, right. <laughs> These are mutual so, relationships. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is consent. Um, and then there's daddy and boy and boy is kind of derived out of slave a little bit. So boy is um, they're very, you're submissive, but you have some ability to speak up and be part of decision-making. And, and then daddy is more, nurturing and like a dad like a dad or a daddy and then there's pup and handler which a pup is someone who is very a little bit more past what pup what boy is in general more affectionate and can be a little bit of uh, a brat if they want to be stuff like that so there's very different shades of the situation um but like you know consent is one of the big thing that's really been coming out of the leather community in the last couple of years Um, In the respect that, you know, certain people, you know, they'll come, they'll go into a bar and someone will go up and start touching another person and there's no consent. And the person either doesn't have the ability to say, I'm not comfortable with this or doesn't, you know, they're so, you know, they may have had history of issues or, you know, like past issues where they can't speak up. So consent and inclusion and especially the gay leather community is something that's really becoming to the forefront now in the last couple of years. Yeah, this is so interesting. And, you know, while I'm sitting here, my knowledge on BDSM is basic at best, right? Mm -hmm. But you bring up so many things. It's just what people choose to label themselves as, right? So I'm in a heteronormative marriage um, and that's comfortable for me. You are comfortable in this situation. So I want to encourage people out there that if you think that this might be something that you're interested in, do your research, figure out 
who is the go-to that's what we do in nursing i think a lot too is mm-hmm. we, we find that go-to person and then you ask them it's not like you're going to ask a gynecologist about a cardiology question right, right. <laughs> not going to be i mean you could technically but it's not their forte so why not go to the source mm-hmm. and figure that out so that's awesome and so now you have these relationships now that you're in and the boy lives with you and you have another person that's in this relationship who's a pup um so a pup um and if you look up online fetish or bdsm pups um you know they'll have a hood um actually i'll bring this down because i have one because i needed it for to help create a design but you know i mean it's it's a pup hood oh neat so what we're looking at if you're not watching currently is um it's a little leather dog face <laughs> mask. Well, really it's cool. neoprene, but same thing. Oh is, it, oh, is it neoprene? Okay. Yeah, but it's, you know, their, what's called headspace or their ability to really be involved in that. And it's not, the thing is, is everything's not about sex. And I think right. some people just think BDSM is like, you're having sex and you're doing this, you're doing that. Some of it is just, they need that, the way that they get that release of their stress and feeling comforted and secure and loved in certain aspects is they put this on and they are like a puppy. You treat them like a puppy, you pat them, you throw balls, you know, it's, it's an aspect of who they are that helps them through their sexual um, identity and who and what they want. That's really awesome. Have you? Do you feel like in the in the people that you've met in the past, do you see some people traveling down the wrong path, and you kind of intervene and have to say, "Hey, maybe this might not be for you. Maybe you should try something else," because you're recognizing as a professional, are you recognizing that some people are are a little bit um, in danger? Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you know it's just like being out at a bar and you finding someone that you want to go home with. Right. And I think, and I know that happens in the gay community. I know what happens okay. in the straight, you know, people want to get, you know, they want to have sex or they want to get people their get environment. Laid. Yes. <laughs> so, um, fuckery going on these exactly. <laughs> so being medically and where I'm, where I'm at, like the last clinic I worked at was very open. Um, you know, some people would come in and they're trying to explain some type of BDSM sexual act they did and they'll and they're trying they're not sure and then I would you know be like okay I understand this is what you were doing or is this what you were doing okay this is what we need to think about like if you're into um certain sexual acts where you're putting larger things in the backside um for a very uh you know these are the things you need to think about um along with younger people or young or newer people coming into the fetish community you know, just like you were saying, go to the right person. Right. It's what's called vetting, you know, asking around who is a safe playmate. Like, do they listen? You know, I'm, most people know about safe words. You know, right. your safe word is when you say it and you're like, okay, um, what are, do they have it a known? Is there a lot of talk about, okay, they're not the safest to play with. They didn't follow with what was set up. Cause you always want to negotiate a scene, which is a some type of scene is like something going on that you've said, okay, I want this done to me. This person says, I can do this to you. But with, for me, I be in the medical, but I'm like, do you have any allergies? Um, any past, past like assault or anxiety? Because all that has to be understood because while some things are very minor and, you know, I am, I tend to do a play and things that are much more high level that can be more dangerous, but I'm also experienced. I've been in BDSM now since uh, for 20 ish years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, it's almost like a medical exam. Okay. What's your history? What do you need to, you know, what do we need to do? Anything I need to know about, like, do you have allergies? Do you have asthma? Do you have anxiety? Because if you don't, you can end up getting yourself or the person who maybe isn't asking the questions into a situation where it's like, okay, now you're calling an ambulance. Right. Right. So that, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like in a, I have counseled women, other women and men in my lifetime about their sexual activities. And 
when I see a perceived threat for them, I've been very verbal about it because that's just the kind of person I am. Mm-hmm. And they expect it from me, obviously. Right. <laughs> but in your, like, there are some things about fetish play that can be a little bit dangerous if not handled appropriately. If handled appropriately, can be beautiful and mutually, you know, a, a wonderful experience. But setting up boundaries is what I'm hearing you say is the with communication is huge. Yeah. And that's fantastic. That's awesome. Along the same way, uh, generally I follow the philosophy, no, um, no alcohol, no drugs during a scene. Right. Um, Just because if you're the one in control, you need to be able to read the person, understand what's going on, communicate, you know, where are you at? Are you okay? Da, 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 da. And if you're the one who is getting the stuff done to you, then you need to be able to speak up and say, no, I'm fine. Eh, I'm kind of on the edge or no, I, we need to stop. Okay. And if you're doing, if you're on something, whether it's alcohol or whatever, it can dull the understanding of what's going on with your body to the point where you're like, it, it can interfere. And then you're in problem. You're having problems. Right. That's one of uh, one of my previous guests, Brad. Brad Balsey, I love you, by the way, uh, was talking about how really using a lot of lidocaine products whenever we were talking about, you know, introduction to anal, that maybe you should back off on that because it can cause some heart arrhythmias if you use it too much. And also, much. if you're mm-hmm. doing some things that hurt you that badly, maybe you should speak up and say, hey, this is not exactly my, my, my go-to thing here. And this is uncomfortable. Right. So I could imagine you know, there, and there's so many avenues, but have you known any other people um, in your community, like in over the last 20 some years that have that have, have really been beaten down by that drug scene or that, you know, people oh, yeah. really unsafe with. Yeah. I mean, um, in the gay community specifically, um, meth is a very, it's a very prominent aspect of gay culture, yeah. or it can be. Um, and part of that is people who do meth or guys who do meth, they can do it and it keeps them up for multiple days in a row and they can bottom. Um, if bottoming is when you're receiving a penis or something in your inside of you. They can bottom and go and go and go and go and go. And it's, um, you know, it's getting that, that feeling or that desire met but it at a lot of cost and I've lost probably five or six couple of fairly good friends a couple of playmates and um, people I've known that they get into meth and they lose everything and um, and you know I don't you know you always want to be supportive but I have a general philosophy that there comes a point when you you know you have to cut certain people out of your life if they're becoming destructive for themselves and can bring that destruction to you. Right. And you don't need it. And you, and, but you have set yourself up with your boundaries and your ability to communicate, to be able to say, Hey, you know, I appreciate you for who you are. And I am hoping that you get yourself together and then we can maybe hang out again if you do, but if you don't, then I'm sorry, you're out. And that's self-preservation. And I think a lot of times we don't necessarily do that for the sake of just being nice. Basically, you don't want to be rude to people, but also you don't need that in your life at all. (laughs) Yeah. the For me, the hardest thing with therapy and everything was being selfish, learning to be selfish for yourself and speaking up and saying, no, I'm not okay with this or uh, in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that a lot of people have that problem where they they don't speak up because they either don't want to cause a problem or they're not willing to put themselves first and you have to learn how to put yourself first for sure for sure and i think nursing nursing causes a lot of that too oh you're right because we're just trying to make people happy always Mm -hmm. it really does lend once you get once you stop being a bedside nurse and become a nurse practitioner and you get more into leadership roles and you find out the ins and outs of how corporations work and, and that sort of thing. And you're not just the person that gets handed down this decree and this is what you have to do. And you just go with it because you need the job. 
things are a little bit different when you know the behind the scenes. So I'm very impressed with how you have taken this, you know, this want for something to make you feel good and also to make other people feel better Mm -hmm. about themselves. And you're weaving in, you know, even though you don't know that you're doing it every day, you are weaving in your nursing skills, your nurse practitioner skills, because you're, you're triaging constantly. We all Mm -hmm. do as nurses, you're triaging the situations and you're just like, okay, so this is going to work for me and, and this part won't. So we just move on from that and keep moving forward. So I'm very impressed and I can't wait to see all the cool stuff that you make. Uh, I'm going to make it a, a necessity for you to come back frequently on the show and talk more about all the cool stuff that you get into, especially Ren Fair time. Mm-hmm. Down for that. I'm going to come to Houston and go to Ren Fair sometime. Oh, it's, it's so much fun. We camp, uh, you know, they over the weekend, we camp, uh, we go to the fair, and then we come back and we have bonfire. And usually without COVID going on, it's literally you're just walking around from campsite to campsite. There's like, you know, people are just having parties. It's, it's just, it's a fun time. It's like, they did have it this year with very strict requirements. So, and it was nice because it gave a little bit of normalcy to all of the crazy that was going on. Oh, yeah. So what kind of masks were people wearing? <laughs> uh, you know, the, the biggest, cause it's all outside. They yeah. were, they were asking people to wear masks when they were walking around. But if you went into a shop, you had to wear a mask. They wouldn't, it was the rules. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, uh, from what I know, there was no real increase, um, specifically from that. So they were, they were pretty good. They had alcohol hand things everywhere. Uh, they were a lot of, some places had stuff. They were squirting your hands when you walk through, uh, they, you know, you weren't really allowed to touch this stuff this as much at this time. Like usually you could touch and, but they were, they were a little bit more, um, controlled about it, which, you know. You know, as a medical provider, don't you think that if most people wash their hands, we'd be way better off anyway? <laughs> well, that's part of why, you know, I was reading an article about like flu was down 95% this year. Sure, We've all been masked and washing our damn hands. Yeah. I, I mean, I've only had three positive flus the entire season. I so I've seen, oh, well, no, I take that back. I've maybe seen two, but that's because they were already negative for COVID and I COVID. didn't know what else to test them for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people just want to know that they're not going to die. And that's a big yeah. deal for them. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm inclined to test them for whatever they want as they ask, you know, I, I, whatever, as long as you understand the ramifications of these testings, but past all that, when let's, let's talk about if you were your 18 year old self again, I like Mm -hmm. to ask people this question, what would you have told your 18 year old self about how you feel right now? Like, Mm -hmm. I would have, I would have said, be more secure in who you are Um, to a point, you know, I definitely feel like, you know, in your late teens and even in your twenties, you're still trying to find who you are as a person. You're not, I mean, you're physically an adult, but you're not really, you don't know who you are. Right. Um, So I would have uh, follow, follow your instincts a lot better um, and maybe given myself a little bit more you know, you can go to school, you can, you can go to a nursing school if you wanted to. Um, that's probably one of the few things I, I would have liked to have done earlier. Um, I mean, I loved working in the OR and it was a quick, easy way to get in and start making fairly decent money at that time. But if I could redo it, um, I probably would have tried to go in a little bit, started earlier. Yeah. I feel you on that. <laughs> All the men that I had, that I uh, mm-hmm. allowed myself to get involved with and never finished school in the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. But I wouldn't trade it for anything, I guess, you know, no. the, this, that's how you learn things. So, but now your plans are to continue to be a nurse practitioner in the lovely Houston area. And also you're going to have this new company and tell me again what it was called. Royal Royal Creations Leather creation no s i keep saying this but there's no s between um, creation creation leather royal creation leather i can't wait to see how phenomenal you do because honestly i was impressed with you the first day i met you and i cannot i like every time i talk to you i'm just enthused and enthralled with the fact that 
you know, you have all this knowledge about uh, things that I have none and I, I, I can't even dream of having. And so to be able to share this information with you, it's just the greatest thing, but can you think of any resources other than people just dialing up Robert and saying, Hey buddy, what's going on? <laughs> Are there any resources that you can point people to that you know of that would be good for you? Know, let's say you want to get into a, a master slave pup alpha <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the, um, there's called the, the Leather Archives, which is a um, museum of leather, the leather community, the start, everything that's in Chicago. Um, they do have stuff online. Um, the Leatherman's Bible um, or Leatherman's Handbook. That is a book I read when I first started coming out into leather, because for me coming, going into leather was like almost another coming out because it was a certain aspect of myself that I had always been interested in or was feeling, but didn't understand. That's another one. Um, the leather book, leather boys handbook is another aspect that kind of gives more of a submissive points of view. Those are both books I read. Um, but any type of uh, organization that dot coms i'm not the biggest fan of because i think you know it's but org is always a pretty good option um but anything like that um the biggest one is learning about like consent and understanding certain like there's what's called the hanky code which is older people don't really use it but different colors mean different things. And, you know, when people are like, I don't know which one I like or what I don't. And I'm like, learn the three colors of the stuff you liked or that you think you want to know and learn the three colors or the three things that you're like, I'm absolutely not going to be okay doing that. And then from there, if you blossom out. Awesome. Hey, let's talk about too. I, I know we were talking about this before the show. Let's talk about the old guard of leather were these guys who dressed up like policemen or Indians or uh -huh. any other sort of, you know, group. Tell me about what you, uh, what you were talking about earlier. So there is, um, so back in the sixties and seventies, when kind of leather, gay leather BDSM culture started um, in general, um, is what's called old guard. And that um, was a very structured, like a dom was, was there, you, your sub, whatever that sub was, stood directly behind you to your left. Um, your leather pieces were earned. So someone gave you a leather piece. Uh, you didn't buy your leather, you didn't buy your first leather piece. Um, and it was just a very structured mentality of this is how it's done, you know, and there, are, you know, there's some nuances and caveats with that, but generally it was, there was very structure to everything. Uh, and that has really, honestly, since about the mid 2000s, so about 2005, 2006 ish, there was already some movement away from it, but now, you know, um, in the leather community, there's a lot of old guard, there's old guard, and then there's what's called new guard, but nobody really calls it new guard, where the old guard mentality is really not a functional mentality anymore. Um, it's, there are still some people, like I have some aspects of old guard that I still follow, but along with that, there is the change of acceptance with people of color, transgendered, women, um, and that has been you know, in the last four or five years has really been just like in normal or muggle culture. Is another <laughs> way. Heteronormal uh, just, cisgender people. Yeah, just like that where uh, transgendered or you're getting a lot more like, you know, let's, we have to be more inclusive as a society. Leather's the same way. And it's still, um, you know, there are a lot of times that people of color or transgender or women still feel very, isolated or unwelcomed in certain in environments and it's you know some people who have a very old guard mentality are like no there's nothing wrong where a lot of people who don't and that's a generalization so I'm not sure, saying all that sure. but a lot of younger people are like no we need to be more welcoming we need to bring in you know because leather as a whole as a community 
there's some aspects that are dying. You know, there's not as much, you know, a leather man was a leather man. And now, you know, a leather man is that, and they may go and do drag the next day. And some people, some people don't believe that you can't be a leather man and do drag. And it's that mentality of the hetero male philosophy. And that just is, you know, like men are wearing corsets now. They'll wear a corset made out of leather. And I had to kind of uh, rethink my own thing. I was like, you know, at first I was like, okay, that's a little different. Like, I was like, not for me, but different. But then I'm like, you know, you really had to think. I was like, you know, whatever, I always have the philosophy, whatever you wear that makes you feel attractive and makes you feel like, okay, I'm ready to take on the world, right. do it. Right. And actually corsets are one of the things that I'm, I am trying to work on making now. Yay. <laughs> if you, uh, if you guys out there ever see my husband walking around in a leather corset, it'll because I made him do it and he's going to love it. I'm sure of it. <laughs> well, there are ones that are men that are like a single shoulder that comes over almost like a steampunk mentality. So it's, um, so it's not quite as feminine ish or, but you know, it's, you know, the world has changed and the leather community is kind of, and certain aspects being pulled, screaming and kicking, but, you know, the whole mentality of uh, the old ideal of leather, that it's changing and it's changing quickly. And just like when there's a lot of change, some people can't understand it and they get left behind. Gotcha. But we have to, we have to belly up and move forward, right? We have Mm -hmm. to make some, you know, some decisions to let some really super cool people into our lives that we might not have known before. And that's why it's always been uh, my favorite thing to give people information that they may not be privy to because I have some really super cool friends. (laughs) And I really, really appreciate you being here with me, Robert. Is there anything else out there that you want to talk about that you think, okay, I have this platform. Is, are there any people out there that you want to reach? What do you want to say? Um, I mean, first and foremost, learn a little bit or do some research about BDSM, leather, way to negotiate, way to do it in a safe manner. Because more than anything, I want people to explore and do what they feel is going to help them love life as a whole and live the journey of life. My journey is a lot of kink and play and a geek and leather, you know, but do it in a way that's safe. Go out into community and find the groups, the leather groups, the clubs. You may not want to join them, but a lot of them are going to give you some ability to get some networking and learn a little bit. So you're not jumping in the deep end and not learning how to swim. Gotcha. Dipping a toe. We like to call it dipping a toe over here. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Robert, thank you so much for being here. And can you go ahead and do your social media shout out one more time? Just tell everybody where you're going to be. Yeah. So along with that, you know, Royal Creation Leather, um, you know, the philosophy of it is creating your fantasy for all sizes, um, whatever that is. Um, So at Royal Creation Leather, no S between the creation and leather, um, it's at Gmail for inquiries. Uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and website will be coming soon. Awesome. And just as a reminder to everybody out there, we are coming to you thanks to just some podcast media group. Love those guys over there. And our friend, Nurse Papa. I loved having you on the show, Robert. You're definitely coming back because we have much more things to talk about. You're so, you know, you're giving me so many ideas just sitting here talking to you. And remember, you can find me at berrypleasures.com. You can find me at Barry Pleasures on Twitter. I am Pleasure Pathways on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, Buried Pleasures podcast is on most of the podcasting platforms. So I, I, I just encourage you to listen to some more. Robert, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. You're such a lovely sweetheart. Thank you for coming you. on here. And allowing some information to flow from that wonderful mouth of yours. <laughs> Not what I usually hear. <laughs> no worries. You keep coming on. We'll keep talking. All, All right. right. Well, guys, everybody, have a good day. Bye. 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 Bye.
Sunrise on the sun. 